0: the bad and the ugly of entrepreneurship, and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cammy Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Today on the She's Invincible Podcast. We have in the studio today, Lila Glasso Franchese. She is a native of Minneapolis. She's a graduate of Breck School and attended SMU's Meadows School of the Arts in Dallas, earning her Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in 1994. Relocating to LA, Lila began writing, sold a screenplay, Peg and Sherl, provided character voices for animated television shows, the most notable, Family Guy, renovated real estate, and ran the personal lives of producers, Studio heads and CEOs. Lila is the recipient of a McKnight Fellowship and the Wesley Book Award. She appeared professionally in regional theater in both Minneapolis and Los Angeles. Lila began a design house called O'Hi Home in 2006, which she continues to run alongside her husband. Her interiors have been published in Architectural Digest, South America, LA Yoga Magazine, and Ventana magazine, among others. In 2016, Lila helped found the Carolyn Glasso Bailey Foundation. Short, it's CGBF. This nonprofit art charity funds artists and provides art education programs in schools through the foundation's initiative, the OHI Institute. Lila currently lives with her family in Ojai, California. Her first book, The Situation, A Radical Journey Through Sisterhood, is a memoir about the highs and lows of 46 years of sisterhood and was published in May of 2020. Welcome, Lila. It is so, so great to have you here
1: today. So great to be here today. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh.
0: Your book? Oh my gosh! So we're just gonna get through this, right? Because I feel it coming already. Uh oh! <laughs> so, I know, I know. I thought I could do this without tears, but I don't know. So it's so great to have you. And I want to first tell our listeners who is Lila. How did you get where you are today, and what makes you invincible?
1: Well, I have to say I hear my bio read to me and I think I have been busy in the first half of my life here, haven't I? <laughs> yes,
0: you have. And it's so funny that you say that because every guest that we have on the show, they, I will always introduce them with their bio and it's like, they're like, she's talking about me. And it's so great because, you know, you submit the bio, you did all of that, but isn't it fun to hear somebody repeat that back to you about how amazing you are and the amazing things that you've already done? Like, oh my gosh, this is just the
1: beginning. Right. Well, I think, you know, sort of where, what started is I grew up in a house with Scandinavian parents who sort of believed like, you get out there and you do it. And, um, you know, even though I I don't think technically we were supposed to, we had jobs at 13 (laughs) and and we were taught, you know, you work hard and then they also played hard. And um, we just developed like a way um, my sister and I to just go get what we wanted to in life. So I wanted to leave Minnesota for college. I did that. I wanted to move to the West Coast to live in Los Angeles. I did that, I was there for 17 years. Um, then I met my husband and, and now I live about an hour and a half out of Los Angeles. And that's been sort of the perfect thing as well. So sort of, I had my you know beautiful childhood in Minnesota, my, my wild years in LA, and then my family life in Ohio. So it's been three really good chapters of that so far.
0: That's amazing. And so tell us, what makes you invincible?
1: Well, I would think what makes me invincible, and I think that I want to preface that by saying I didn't know I was invincible. But then um, I went through a huge experience where my sister, who was my closest, closest person in my life um, for 45 years, 46 years, got diagnosed with a kind of terminal brain cancer that no one has ever recovered from still to this day called glioblastoma. And my world stopped. Um, I didn't know how I would go on. I didn't know uh, how I would get through watching her be ill. And I didn't know if I lost her, what I would ever do. I'm the little sister. So I, my big sister always kind of did it first. And um, really, I went through a whole journey with her being terminally ill for 14 months that changed my life. It changed our roles. It taught me how tough I was. Um, It brought me to the lowest lows and the highest highs. And I realized after she was gone and I was left with my family and her son who now lives with me and her husband who's over every night for dinner still, um, that I needed to be invincible because I needed to move on for this incredible family and to make life work and move forward for these kids and um, and we've been doing it. She's been gone five years and I will say I have developed a resilience that I never thought was there. And I like to say, I feel like sometimes when you go through something so dramatic that you actually come out of it with a deeper understanding of your journey of life. And I like to say that I, I really do believe I now live at a higher frequency than I did prior to that situation. And that's, I love that. And I'm invincible at that higher frequency.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yes, you are, right? And, and I love what you said that you didn't even know you were invincible. And I think that that is kind of what happens right through our journey. We become, you know, this stronger person or or this better version of ourselves that we didn't even know existed because the journey is what causes us to step up, right? And fight back and yeah, and be strong. And we end up being stronger than we ever thought we could. Yes.
1: I, you know, it was so funny. I saw this morning actually, you know, how Facebook will remind you what you've done. And it reminded me of a moment six years ago when my sister got her diagnosis. They knew she had brain cancer, but they didn't know that it was glioblastoma. And today is the anniversary of the six-year diagnosis of that. And I thought, I actually called my mother this morning. and I was like, Mom, can you believe I'm doing the She's Invincible podcast on the sixth anniversary of this? Because it, that was really the day that it all hit me. And I collapsed on my bed. I had two friends come up from Los Angeles who I had known for decades, literally crawl in bed with me and, and say, you can do this. You can do this. We're here. You have so much support. And I learned how many, how deeply I was loved. And I learned that I was resilient, that I could do this. Um, So it's so funny that we're talking today on that anniversary.
0: I I am shocked.
1: (laughs) I am. Yeah, I just am.
0: I I am really without words about that right now. Okay, so resilience. So that is seems to be the buzzword. Let's talk a little bit about resilience and about what that looks like to you, and maybe how others, listeners here, can be more resilient.
1: Sure. So you know, um, I think like I would. I th- I think you know I had said earlier. Um, I think in a previous conversation you and I had that you know when someone dies, we've all been known in common culture to know like these are the stages of grief. So you go, oh God, I'm going through denial. Oh, I'm going through this. But I believe there are also stages of resilience, or I would call them more like steps to becoming resilient. And um, as I was journaling during my sister's illness, which is what eventually became a book that I wrote about her, I would write down what I was doing that was sort of creating that resilience. And it it really for me, broke down to seven things when I went back to look through the book, and the first one was that I had to believe that I could heal, that I could cope with the situation and heal my own pain to move forward. That was number one. number two, I had to identify who around me could support me, so identifying support. Um, Three was I had to learn to talk about it. And like we said, this is an emotional subject and you know, we'll talk about, read some stuff from the book in a little bit, but um, that was actually my hardest step was being able to say out loud, my sister is terminally ill or I will lose my sister or even to her, you're going to die. What, how are we gonna get through this? What do you want? Um, and then number four, uh, or wait, that was number four, I think talking about it. Number five, I have a little list here that I made with notes. Um, oh, helping others and coping. That's what really made me learn about resilience. Like I could be, you know, feeling so sorry for myself one day and so overwhelmed. And then I had to help the kids with homework or I had to be the one to, to comfort you know a friend of hers that would come visit uh, while she was ill, helping others actually made me more resilient and made me able to also heal and cope just like um, just like step one that I talked about, um, believing that I could heal and cope um, and then the next step was finding positives like what, what in my life, even though I'm in the most terrible moment ever, what in my life is good? Well, what in my life was good were these two beautiful children who still, you know, we, I would escape with them once in a while and take them to Disneyland just so we would be in a, have a whole day of joy and there would be smiles and they were the positives. Also, um, my husband and realizing the positive of being in a healthy, happy, loving marriage. Um, of realizing that I had a great mom who was able to go through this, which I can't even imagine what it's like to lose a child. It was hard enough to lose a sister. Um, so really identifying the positives. And then the next step uh, relates to that. Acknowledging, you know what, I am a survivor. I, I, what, And that happens, I think, as you're in the difficulty for a while, like, So many months go by that then you realize, wow, I'm doing this and I'm surviving, um, caring for this person. I'm surviving, uh, helping this whole family survive. And that's that's huge. Giving yourself that label is a great thing. I am a survivor. And then finally, acknowledging sort of what we talked about earlier, that the situation has changed you. And you now within that change, might have a deeper understanding um, and that you will live then in a high, a higher frequency, or as I like to say, I feel like I'm living at a level now that my sister would be really proud of, and I don't know if I was living at that high of a level before, but now uh you know i i i you know maybe it made me really um appreciate my own life and it made me um, have more empathy towards others you know there's so much of these resilience steps are about trusting yourself and also empathy and um, and so that's 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 what I would say that that whole list is I hope that was clear enough but
0: that is such a great great Lesson If you have to learn a lesson when you go through such a traumatic experience, is just how you broke that down is so helpful. So, um, let's go back and we'll just summarize that real quick. So, you want to go yeah. just through
1: real quick um, yeah. one through seven, just call yeah. them out. So, anybody who's taking notes can capture so, that. One, believe you can heal or cope, call it healing or coping, believe you can do it. Two, find support. Like Mr. Rogers used to say, find the helpers, right? Find support. Three, talk about it. You know, it's the hardest thing to say is actually say out loud our hardest journeys, but talk about it. Four, help others. By helping others, you heal. Uh, Five, find the positives in your life. Identify those. Let those positives be what lead you through. Six, be a survivor. Actually call yourself that. Acknowledge what you've survived. I am a survivor. And seven, finally, acknowledge and share your changed and deeper understanding. Um, And share it with the world if you can. And I
0: love how you summarize seven with the situation. So, <laughs> yes, you know, knowing that, um, you know, the situation changed you. And so let's talk about the situation, about the book. The book, the situation. Uh, I love it Let me... Oh, yes. I love, love, love your book. I I think I might've told you this before, but it is the first book that I have ever read that I actually cried. I can tell you where I was, who was with me. uh, Exactly. uh, Sitting on the beach uh, with my husband and just, I could not put the book down. And I think I read like the first 40 pages one day, and then I threw it in my bag to go to the beach, and the next day I read the entire book
1: wow. on the beach,
0: minus wow. those first 40 pages. And I got to the last chapter and I literally cried. And that is now, I mean, I've had gotten tears at a movie, and I could cry tonight while we talk, but but <laughs> typically, I'm not, you know, I don't cry at books, and I just want to say to you that what a beautiful story, but also you are such a beautiful writer because you, you, you you know, there's the story, but then there's the person who tells the story. And I tell people all the time, like if you're, you'll know you're a good storyteller when you can tell a story about coffee and I can smell the coffee and Mm. I can see the steam. Right? So coming from the cup, that's how you know you're great writers, when you can actually bring people into the story. And that's not easy. Like in movies, it's visual. So it's a lot easier to see and and step into a movie. But to be reading words on a page and be able to draw someone in is a gift and a talent. And I commend you for that. Uh, That was so beautiful. So not only was it a beautiful story, but it was told in such a beautiful beautiful way and such a great tribute.
1: Well, thank you. Wow. (laughs) That really, that means so much. Thank you so much. It
0: was, it was, that was life-changing for me. So tell me um, and tell our listeners where they can get your book, The Situation.
1: So you can order The Situation, A Radical Journey Through Sisterhood on Amazon really easily, or you can go to our website, thesituationbook.com, and that leads you through other links to where it's available. Um, it's widely available. I know we've had sections of where it's sold out one place or another, um, but those links will lead you to different places that you can order the book.
0: That's awesome. And I know I read in your bio uh, that you started a foundation in your sister's name. So let's talk a little bit about that because um, I understand that part of the proceeds of this book sales is actually fun going into the foundation for the projects and and the, the mission for that foundation. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Sure. So my sister was a contemporary art dealer and she sold museum quality art and Um, She loved art. She traveled. I traveled with her. We went to art shows and The thing that made her different than most art dealers is she loved artists and she paid artists first before herself and she put them first and um, When she was sick and after she died, we had so many artists come forward her husband and I and say what can we do? We don't know how we're gonna navigate the art world without her that we decided to start a foundation. And it's a unique foundation because it's a foundation actually started by those artists who then donated work that we sold in a show I entitled Fierce Generosity, um, which was how I felt was the best description about my sister. (laughs) Uh, She was fiercely generous. And so her foundation still funds art and arts programs um, in our community. And also on a nationwide level, we give two art prizes a year. Um, one to an artist from Minnesota and one from, to a Southern California artist so far, although our first year recipient is a New York artist. Um, and then this year we were able to start a new initiative that will help in schools, all free programming, um, arts education, residency program for great artists to come into schools or communities and work with kids because arts education has gotten so rare in especially in public schools um, in this country and in California as well and so we're just we're wanting to keep the keep her her mission alive and that's what the foundation does and it you know a side note it's been really healing when you start something in the voice of somebody it makes you feel that they're still actively working with you and that so that's been really beautiful
0: that's amazing and I, I could see how that would happen that, that kind of keeping her alive through that and the energy and really doing great things and the generosity it's just all the things that she stands for that you're able to continue on is amazing
1: yes and they and you can find out more about the organization i mean there's much more than i've said and there's so much going on with what's going on in the country right now artist reflection of you know cu- culture right now uh, you can find it at cgbfoundation.org if anyone wants to um, know more.
0: Awesome. And I will also have in the show notes, so anyone listening can just click into the show notes and they'll be able to see all the links and uh be able to go right to order the book and also to check out the foundation as well. Great. So that is so great. So great. Okay. So we're going to shift now on the okay. She's Invincible podcast. We promise our listeners that we are going to feature fierce female entrepreneurs and we're going to have them share the things that they learned and on their journey and help others to learn too from from them. And offer valuable tips that they can put into place and make a difference. And we did that. And I thank you so much for that. Uh, And so we also promised them that we're going to let them in behind the scenes and we're going to, Talk a little bit about your journey because people see you and they see how resilient you are they see how you survived and now you're thriving and all of the things that you're doing but they don't see your struggle and they don't see your journey unless of course they read your book and mm-hmm. so we want to encourage them to do that but we're gonna talk right now about a little bit about that journey behind the scenes and we love to share the good the bad and the ugly so we're gonna to start with the good. So could you share with us a story about the good in your journey?
1: Yes, I will. I'm going to read you a chapter from the book called The Bully. So um, one thing about the book to know is that the, the situation uh, fluctuates between 1972 and 2014. So there are chapters about the 14 months of Carolyn's terminal illness, but there's also flashbacks to our 46 years together as children, teenagers, young adults. And those chapters are kind of a fun relief um, from the emotion of of her terminal journey. So this is one of my favorite ones. Um, It's an excerpt from a chapter called The Bully and it takes place in Minneapolis in 1979. We had a lemonade stand, I say. I got this whole pencil box full of money. I proudly extend my arms in front of me holding in both hands a navy, blue, red, and gold Wonder Woman pencil box. Carolyn takes the box out of my hands and opens it. Why is it only filled with nickels? Because Elaine let me keep the bigger ones, I innocently answer. Lila, these are only worth five cents. Did Elaine keep all the dimes? Oh, I bet she did. Dimes are worth ten cents, Lila. That's double what yours are worth. Come with me. Carolyn grabs my hand holding the Wonder Woman pencil box of nickels in her other hand and stomps out the front door. Crosses the street and heads directly to Elaine's house. I stand behind her. Elaine and Carolyn are not a good combination. The door opens, Elaine has seen us coming. Her arms are crossed in front of her body and she is swaying side to side. She is wearing her red one piece swimsuit and pink jelly shoes. As she sways, her blonde bob swings like a pendulum. Hi, Glasso Girls, she sings songs from the stoop. Her right foot taps impatiently on the brick beneath her. Elaine, I am so mad at you. Let me see your pencil box from the lemonade sale, Carolyn shouts. Oh, I already put it in my piggy bank, Elaine replies in a sing song, sorry. Carolyn continues to hold my hand and marches right past Elaine and into the white brick house. Mrs. B, Carolyn yells. Mrs. B, we need you. Elaine's petite mother runs into the front hall from the kitchen, still holding a pottery dinner plate and a rust-colored dish towel. Oh, hi, Carolyn, dear. What is it, she says. Carolyn states her case. The dimes are found. They weren't in Elaine's piggy bank. Elaine doesn't even have one. They are in a sticker covered pencil box under her bed. And it's not just dimes she has, the box is also full of quarters. Carolyn smiles as she walks me home carrying both boxes. There is no sign of Elaine in our neighborhood until early July.
0: That is my favorite funny story of the book. I can't believe you chose that one. Oh my gosh. It's my favorite
1: too. I love that one. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. So great. So where is Elaine today? You know, what's so funny is that uh, an old neighbor of mine called me and said, you know, I was in Chicago working for a while and I realized Elaine was working in the same building two floors up. They hadn't seen each other since childhood and they talked and she said, Elaine's really nice now.
0: <laughs> She's so I not think, stealing any lemonade money. No,
1: no. I think Elaine learned her childhood lessons and is working happily in Chicago. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Well, that was the best story. Oh my gosh. Thank so you. thank you. Thank you. And that is, what chapter is that in the book? That's chapter six. Chapter six. Chapter okay. six, the bullet. So yes. So now we have to talk about a bad story.
1: Yeah. So I thought what I would read you here is actually, it's kind of a, it's the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter five. And you, that'll make sense because it's a continuing story. And it's really the, the point of diagnosis. And it's actually what I said earlier in the um, podcast is the anniversary of today, this day that I'm going to be reading you. It's the six-year anniversary of this happening. So this is from the chapter called The True You. Carolyn's pathology doesn't come back until early the following week. I am furnishing a large farmhouse with friends and co-workers, Lisa and Shelley. I hear the word glioblastoma over the phone from my brother-in-law, Chris. I haven't heard it before. I Google it. Quote, despite maximum treatment, the cancer usually reoccurs. The most common length of survival following diagnosis is 12 to 15 months, with less than 3 to 5% of people surviving more than four years. Without treatment, survival is typically three months. The world stops. I fall into the staircase with the pillows I am holding. Oh my God. Oh my God. Lisa and Shelley look down the old wooden staircase at me collapsed, lying on top of a heap of down-filled pillows. I look up at them. I don't have to say anything. Their eyes fill with tears, too. We cry and cry and cry. I hand Lisa my pocket-sized cell phone and she and Shelley silently read what I've Googled. The pathology came back, I say. Oh, Lila, I'm so sorry, Lisa says brushing her dark hair from her face and looking up from what she just read. Let's just finish here, I say in defeat. Let's just be done. Except for a few nose blows and sobs, Lisa, Shelley, and I finished staging the house in silence. So that was a big, big life-changing moment. Yes,
0: that is ugly on the journey.
1: Yeah, that, you know, yes.
0: Yeah. But it's, yeah, but it gets uglier. It gets gets, uglier. And I know you have an ugly story.
1: I do. I do. So um, I'm going to read sort of, I I believe this chapter, it's near the end of the book. It's chapter 41. And it's called, (laughs) this totally describes what I'm reading, actually, from the title of the chapter. It's called, Please Just a Little Bit More. And I'm hoping I can get through this to read it because you know it's not often that I read it out loud. So, um, so we'll get through this together. Uh, Carolyn has been so sick for so long that these goodbye calls seem fictional to me, like part of a bad dream I've been trapped in for 14 months. It's why I'm silently crying. I can't yet ask myself how our lives will go forward without her. How can life be so cruel? When my mother arrives for her daily visit, I hear Carolyn tell her that she has been in bad pain for a long, long time. That afternoon as she naps, I lay my head on her pink sweater and I cry out loud. I tell her I don't know how to live without her. I tell her she has been more than just a big sister. She has been a second mom. She knows all of my secrets. She has been my protector. She has been my safety net. I thank her for finding me my husband dines and loving my daughter Fliss as if she were her own. She repeats, shh, and pats my head. Her cancer has affected her ability to show emotions. I can feel with her hand on my back her love for me. I steady my breathing with hers like I did when we were little girls. I listen to her heartbeat. We fall asleep for a while. When I wake up, I check to hear if she is breathing. I am comforted to hear a soft snore. I am grateful that the looming, dreaded moment of leaving us is not now. Please, just a little bit more, I say as I quietly shut the door. So. Wow.
0: Yeah. And you did get a little bit more, I, did. I remember from the book.
1: I did. We yeah. got a little bit more, but you know, at near the end there after you've beaten that statistic of 13 months and you're in, you're nearing 14 months, gosh, every, it's like having a little baby and checking if it's still breathing. That's what it was like, you know, no one should have to go through that. <sighs>
0: but what a beautiful story what a beautiful, beautiful relationship you and your sister had for those 46 years.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: I, I, I think you said she was older, right? So it was a little less than that, but um, but what a beautiful, beautiful story. And um I just commend you for not only did you survive, but you are now thriving. And your family is thriving because of your resilience. So now you have this foundation. You have your nephew who's now you're raising. Yes. And he has you. What a gift that is. And he has your daughter, which now is his sister. Yes. Yep.
1: Yes. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. So, yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. And her husband that, 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 what a gift you are to him and and your family is to him to be able to pick up the pieces where she left off and be able to support him as well in everything that you do. So amazing.
1: We call ourselves a tribe. (laughs)
0: you are a tribe you're a tribe of the best kind
1: and well and and we were just in quarantine together so all of us so oh my gosh everybody's working
0: from home yeah
1: everyone's (laughs) working from home the kids are zooming from home and i heard a great quote though this morning by um representative presley who i believe is the um congresswoman for uh massachusetts she said that she always thinks of the expression fortitude over fatalism. And I thought that that's, that's such a beautiful thing just to repeat in your head, you know, fortitude over fatalism. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And I also, I also do want to say about, about the book, the thing that, that I love is that, you know, we regardless of being men or women or, black or white or our level of education or where we live, what nationality or religion, what we have in common is the sharing of stories and the power of sharing stories has been there since the cavemen were drawing on caves at the beginning of time. And, um, you know, part of, part of my journey towards being invincible, um, was realizing the power of my own story and hoping that that story can help other people and uh you know that's been the best part about the book is the feedback from people that have benefited from sharing the story that sometimes it was a cathartic process for them helping them grieve in ways that they didn't sometimes it helped mend a sister relationship that hadn't and and i think one thing that you said to me when we first talked on the phone about doing this is you said, I think everyone should read this book to realize that deep love and that deep human compassion that you can have with another human being that you had with your sister. And that, that, I mean, that was the biggest compliment, first of all, but But second of all, that's been the great thing about sharing this story is helping other people with their story.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And you know what I was just thinking about while you were saying that is that a lot of times people don't fix, um, you know, have those deeper relationships until they find out that there's like a, a fatal diagnosis, like something terminal. And what I loved about your story was that you and your sister lived your life so much uh, in so much abundance and so out loud and so fun that, you know, it, it's almost not that you're ever ready for something like this to happen. But I can, you know, I can only see you wanting to have more time, but not needing it because you didn't already live it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like some people just, you know, are going through life and they're wasting time and then they find out and it's too late. And, but you guys lived and had that relationship and had just the sweetest story and childhood and just growing up and just the stories everyone should read your book because honestly, like it, it was, it was the normal sibling things, like you stealing her clothes and you know, just all the things. And you, like, you know, some people just wait until it's too late to, yeah. to live at that deeper level. And I think that's amazing that you and your sister didn't do that. Um, and I also love how you mentioned how you flip back and forth between, you know, from the diagnosis on and back to your childhood. So every time you turn to the next chapter, it's it's flipping back to another really fun story. And I just love that. It was such a joy to read. Um, and I, I just want to encourage our listeners to get this book and read it. It will change your life. It will help you with your relationships, uh, and it will help you to live a better life. Uh, you know, for as long you. as you live.
1: Thank you. Yeah, buy it for your sibling. Buy it for your buy it for your best friend. I think that that's you know the more I can get it out there, the better. There still really isn't much written about glioblastoma. Um, when Carolyn got diagnosed, I I was able to read an article. And so that this is a whole, a whole book where you really see like what someone went through with that. It, that was, that's been really rewarding too. But I think also from what you said, you know, we did have a really fun life together. And I always think like she, somewhere her soul or something knew that she only had a limited amount of years because my grandfather had an expression, my Norwegian grandfather Aussie. And he said, you know, celebrate the big days because those are the ones you'll remember. and so she always followed that advice. Um, we always you know if we went on a trip we we went and saw the greatest sights and ate the greatest food and shopped everywhere and um, she lived life big and appreciated every day and that's that's what we try to do here too. We actually eat off our our sterling silver grandmother's um flatware. We started doing that after Carolyn died because I thought, you know what? Why do we use that once a year? Let's eat off it.
0: (laughs) It's true, right? We say that all the time. What are we saving it for? Every day is a special day.
1: Yeah. Right. And I think the best thing, and people will understand this when you read the last um, page of the book, which I don't want to ruin for readers, but you've read it. So I can say our, I don't think we had a, uh, the typical, you know, Hallmark movie lifetime goodbye uh, in the final moments. Um, We didn't, but that's because I had the luxury of having a sibling where we knew exactly how we felt about one another every single day or or told each other (laughs) if we we didn't. And I was so lucky to live amidst that really honest, deeply loving relationship.
0: That's amazing. What a gift. Truly. What a gift. So tell me, Lila, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners about those last final weeks with your sister?
1: Yes. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think we all had this expectation after, you know, we're building up 13, 14 months till her loss and all thinking we knew the plan of how it would go. And, um, we actually changed like our whole plan of how we would deal with losing her um, within those, within the last week, actually, um, of her living. I had read an article about a woman who had donated one of the twin babies she had that died. Um, one survived and one died. Um, she had donated or had been asked to donate the body of her baby to science. And the doctor said to her, it's so important um, because it's really hard to find newborn skin for burn victims or infant eyes are so small and we can learn so much about about babies' eyes by examining them. And the article was so moving and so amazing. Um, The the woman wrote it on the anniversary of her uh, one son going to an Ivy League school and saying, look what he accomplished to get to this Ivy League school, but look at what my other son accomplished from his body donation. And it just hit me like a Mack truck. And I said to Carol, and I I think I read Carol in the article and we were both really moved. And one thing that we had learned about her disease is that it, it glioblastoma and she had giant malformed glioblastoma, which is, she would joke, you know, oh, of course I had to get the most intense one being an intense lady. Um, but most of the people that get that are men and they are usually over 70 years old. So that she was still a reproductive 40-something-year-old female was amazing for research just to have this young body to go into to see, like, wow, can we learn more about glioblastoma, that we decided from that article we read about the woman donating her body that Carolyn decided to donate hers. So we looked into programs, and one thing that we found was the David Geffen Um, body donation program, which I think you can use if you're near UCLA, because I think it's in Los Angeles. Um, And we donated her body because it, it, I was not clear until I read the article that the woman had written about her son, how important it is when we're sick with something unique. Um, Or, and even if we aren't, and we just die young and healthy, and our body's a really great canvas to study, how much we can hope for a cure with diseases like leoblastoma that don't have a cure yet from all the work and the research and the education that can be learned off your body donation. So, so that changed. And, um, and now it's kind of become a family plan. It's, it's a plan that I'm going to do uh, as well. I just I feel like if learning can happen from your own suffering, that is a super, super great thing to do.
0: I agree. And such a great way, another way to impact the world, right? When you're gone to be able to continue to impact the world through science and, you know, through that research and, and in the ways that they discover how they can help other people that are still living. That's amazing.
1: Well, and you know, the amazing thing I want to mention, the thing that really changed me with that one article is that the woman says in the article that the son's just the donation of his eyes uh, helped to cure 39 pediatric eye diseases and I i mean my my jaw dropped I mean that's that alone I mean even if you just cured one right but they it, right. it helped for the research for 39 of them I, th- I think that's the number because it's like stuck in my head but it was an exorbitant amount so I mean life-changing that is amazing Well, thank you so
0: much for being here with us and for sharing your story and for gifting the world with your story in your book, in your writing and your storytelling, and also in your foundation to honor and celebrate your sister.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me and thanks for reading the book and thanks for sharing the message of it. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. And if you're listening today, I don't know where you are in your life or your business.